Well, after a week off um, from the book of Samuel, First Samuel, um, you can make your way back to First Samuel chapter seven, as we will be covering the whole chapter tonight. Um, we covered a couple weeks or a couple chapters um, a couple weeks ago, which was a feat in and of itself for me. But those two chapters were so closely connected to each other, and and the narrative that 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 came with that the storyline that was um, kind of in both of those chapters that just made it flow all the way through, um, understanding that the ark of of the covenant or the ark of the Lord that has it's it's been referred to more of the ark of the Lord of the ark of God um, had been captured by the Philistines and and. Uh, when they had defeated the nation of Israel and in their celebration, in their victory, if you will, they captured the most precious possession, the most prized possession of the nation of Israel, and that was the ark. And, and, and because they, they caught that, they, they captured that, they brought it before their god, Dagon, and in their celebration, it wasn't only a celebration that they had victory, but what they were doing was bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, what, they, what was supposed to be the presence of God. They came and, and they, they brought it in a way to humiliate the God of Israel by putting it at, at, at the feet of their God. In, in a sense, saying that the God of Israel has been defeated. But what they didn't understand is that, no, the people of God were defeated in that battle because of their disobedience. But our God can never, ever be defeated. And I just think that's so powerful, man, because God, the one we serve, the same God, the, the God of Israel is our God, and He is never defeated. You know, His people can be bummed out. His people can walk in, in bondage and shackled. But man, there's so much freedom in, in Jesus Christ. And, and, and because there is freedom, we get to walk in that daily. And it's us <laughs> and our own flesh and our own shortcomings that we, we end up becoming in bondage again. But our God is never defeated. All the victories that He has, we get to, to enjoy. And so here these guys thought that they had defeated the God of Israel, the God of the universe. And in their celebration, it would be short-lived. For the Philistines, um, it was a short-lived life or celebration for them. It, it would be humiliation galore for them, for their God and for them personally. You see, God, the God of Israel was not going to let them sit idly by and enjoy their victory. They, they, uh, they were in pain. They, you know, as, as serious as that was, I mean, to me it was like funny because they were itching to, to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. But at the same time, I just feel like, man, Lord, you know how to defeat. You know what it takes because as they were trying to humiliate you, you humiliated them and their God. And they couldn't stand. <laughs> they couldn't stand in your presence any longer. And so in a sense, they let the Ark of the Covenant go back 
You know, they didn't want to say that they sent it back because that would have been defeat for them. But they let it go back to save face. If the God of Israel hadn't defeated them nor humiliated their, them or their God, but he did. And so the ark of God is back in the hands of the nation of Israel in the town of Beth Shemesh. But the children of Israel are still treating it like a good luck charm in that sense and disaster strikes. And this is where we pick up the pieces. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, but let me start in verse 21 of chapter 6. So they sent messengers from the, uh, to the inhabitants of Kyrgyz, Kyrgyz, Jerarim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take, up, take it up with you. So the men of Kyrgyz, Jerarim, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab, on the hill, and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjith Jiriam a long time. It was there twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. You, you, you would think as we kind of look over these short little verses here, you would think that after what happened to the men in Beth Shemesh, what God had done to them, that the God of Israel would have been done with them, with the people. But I was reading the other day in Psalms, at the end of Psalms, as I was reading in Psalm 145, verse 8, and it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. You know, <clears throat> the nation of Israel understood what the Ark of the Covenant was all about. And yet when it came back to them, the men of Beth Shemesh, they opened up the lid and, and, and tragedy strikes that because of their disobedience, God strikes them. And yet, in all of that, God doesn't turn his back on them. He has them send people over to Kirjith Jerem and, and, and to, to have guys come and get the ark properly, take care of it properly. And God was going to allow that to happen because it was back in their possession. And, and, and oftentimes you think that, man, God, when are you finally going to get tired of your people? And if you know the Old Testament and you know the story of uh, the nation of Israel where they come to God and they turn, to, turn, turn away, come to Him and turn away and their disobedience and you're going, man, Lord, when are you going to be tired of them? And it just seems like, like that, that psalm says, man, He is gracious and full of compassion. He is slow to anger and great in mercy and He is that to the nation of Israel, but He is also that to me and you. Because oftentimes we act like the children of Israel, don't we? Man, how often does he do great and mighty works in our, in, in our lives and then we just blow it. We just become disobedient. And then tragedy strikes in our lives and we're going, God, why would you? And he's going, you're disobedient. I had to let things play out. But the men from 
Kyrgyz Jerim came and took the ark to their city, which was about 10 miles east of Beth Shemesh. And it was about eight miles west of what would be the future Jerusalem. So kind of in the middle, it, it, it kind of meets. That's where uh, Kyrgyz Jerim, Jerim is located, it, located. But notice that they did not take the Ark of the Covenant back to Shiloh. That's where they had gone to go get it seven, eight months earlier because that's where the tabernacle was. That's where it, it, it used to abide. And they took it from there and brought it to war and then it gets captured and then seven months later it comes back to them. But they don't take it back to, to, to Shiloh where it used to be. Because it is believed that Shiloh was probably more than likely destroyed in the skirmish that they had with the Philistines. That they went all the way over to, to Shiloh and they, they destroyed it. Because from here on out, we never really hear about Shiloh. Except how it used to be here and there. How, what Shiloh meant to the, the people of Israel back then. But it was destroyed. Now, like I said, it is believed that the Philistines were the ones that went and destroyed it. But as I was looking at this, I thought, you know, when, when Phinehas's daughter dies and her son is born and she names him Ichabod, meaning the, the glory of the Lord has departed. As I was looking at that, I thought, is it possible that when that happened, and then when the, 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 the glory of the Lord had departed in the Ark of the Covenant, is it possible? Could it be? Is there a possibility, a probability, that they themselves destroyed the Shiloh because of the glory of the Lord had departed? They were so distraught, maybe, because God was not in their presence anymore. They're, they're saying, what good is it? What good is it to serve God if He is not even among us? He's, he's over there with the Philistines. Why, sh why should we take care of the tabernacle if He's not even here? And I thought, is it possible that that could happen? Because oftentimes when we feel like the Lord has departed from us, we end up destroying our own lives. <laughs> we, we end up thinking like, well, what good is it? What good is it for me to continue walking with God if His presence isn't here? And they couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> but Shiloh, Shiloh is a distant memory now. The, 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 tabernacle or the tabernacle is no longer there. The presence of God is no longer there. And if indeed they, they destroyed it themselves, it was because they felt the guilt <laughs> Because it wasn't the, the Ark of the Covenant itself that was about this size. Because God does not dwell in a box. He does not dwell in a box. And to them, it's like, well, if the box is over there, then God must be over there. And they had it all misconstrued in their minds. But now, be that as it may, the ark has been brought to the house of Abinadab. And his son, Eliezer, is now put in charge of the ark. And it is no doubt that this must be a Levitical family. Now they're understanding. They consecrate Eliezer. They set him apart because that's what they're supposed to do. And so now they're understanding, now that the ark is back in their presence, that they are to go by the rules that God has set. And you are to consecrate a priest to be over it. 
I don't know if, if, if this family was part of Aaron's line or they were just of the tribe of Levi, but they had him and to watch over it. And so now it's going to be a little different. It's interesting because the, the ark comes to the house of Abinadab. And I'm sure that they had heard the stories of what had happened to the Philistines. And they're probably thinking, why are you bringing it to my house? I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to have to suffer. But look at the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant comes to his house and nothing happens to him. God wasn't mad with them. He, he brought judgment upon the Philistines because they tried to humiliate God. Now they're starting to do things right and, 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 and it's going to dwell there for a time. Nothing's wrong here. And it's interesting because we, we, we read in verse 2, And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time, and it was there 20 years. The, the, the way it reads here, it's, it seems like well, it was there for 20 years, and 20 years is a long time. To, to read something like that and say, Oh, the ark of the covenant was there for 20 years, man. How come you guys left it there for a long time? But if, as you read this, where it says a long time, there's a semicolon right there. And then it says it was there for 20 years. Because if we read this and we say, well, yeah, 20 years is a long time for the ark to sit at this guy's house. No, it means that it sat there for 20 years before Samuel, who's going to come back on the scene, before he addresses the children of Israel. It would be all those years, 20 years, that it sat there, that the house of Israel lamented after the Lord, it says. They lamented for 20 years. And that word lament in the Hebrew means to groan, to, to bewail, to cry aloud, to mourn. For 20 years they did that, the children of Israel. They did that outwardly. But we'll see in a little bit what they did inwardly. But the fact of the matter is that the Ark of the Covenant remained in the city of Kyrgyz Jerem in the house of Abinadab for about a hundred years. That's how long it lasted in the house of Abinadab. You see, it was captured in the battle of Aphek. Which, which was 1104 B.C. And it wasn't until King David in 2 Samuel chapter 6, which would be 10.3 or 03 B.C., that it was brought to Jerusalem. So for a hundred years, the Ark of the Covenant was at the house of Abinadab. Now, even though the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, it didn't mean that God dwelt in that box. It didn't mean that God could only be put in a box. Because even though it was at the house of Abinadab for over a hundred years, or for about a hundred years, God would still be working in and among the children of Israel, and He would use men like Samuel. He would raise up other men like, like David, 
even though the ark was over at the house of Abinadab. And in verses 3 to, to, to 5, very important scriptures, especially verse 3, man, because we see that something is stirring as, as Samuel comes back on the scene because he has been on hiatus from chapter 4, verse 1 of First of Samuel. Up until this chapter, he hasn't been mentioned. He's back on the scene, and he is now probably about 30 years old. He's, he's, he's in his 30s. So in effect, the last time we, we, we read, we really got to hear from Samuel. More than likely, he was about 12 years old, and now it's been 20 years. So he's about 32 years old, somewhere around there. But these few verses tell us a lot about the children of Israel and where they were at with the Lord. Even though they had the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of God, back in their presence, even though outwardly they were lamenting after the Lord, inwardly they were far away from Him. Now the reason I say that is because the message that Samuel gives, where it says in verse 3, And Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the, and the asterisks to serve only, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mitzpah, drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mitzpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for uh, our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel, the message that he cries out, that he gives to the nation of Israel is, if you return, if you return to the Lord with all your heart. In, in, in other words, they, the nation of Israel, had left the Lord in a box on a hill in the house of Abinadab in the city of Kirjath-Jerob. Jerem. For all this time that they had brought it back for 20 years, for 20 years, they were still doing what they wanted to do, even though they had gotten the, the, the Ark of the Covenant back. And he cries out, he says, you need to return. Because I know that if, if, if you return back to the Lord with all your heart, God will take care of you. And it brought me to, to Isaiah where uh, Isaiah 29, 13, where it says, Therefore the Lord says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, 
and their fear towards me is taught by the commandment of men. You see, for 20 years, even though they had the, the Ark of the Covenant in their presence, outwardly it says that they were lamenting. They were crying out. They were groaning. But inwardly, as we see, they were serving foreign gods. Outwardly, they were saying, oh God, you know, where are you? And, and you know, you've come back and blah, blah, blah. But their hearts were far away from God. They weren't even close to God. And so Samuel, the cry from Samuel is return. Return with all your heart. You see, for hundreds of years, the nation of Israel, they had been all over the place. When they had left their, 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 their country to go to Egypt, and they became slaves in Egypt. They got introduced to all the foreign gods. When they came out into the wilderness, they brought some of their foreign gods with them. They brought some of the people from Egypt with them. And even in the wilderness, they were serving other gods. When they went into the promised land, all the people, all the nations that were there, also, God said, destroy them all because they have foreign gods and you need to kill them all because they're going to influence you. You're not going to influence them. You, you have to influence, or they, they will influence you, so kill all of them. And guess what? They didn't. And so they go into the, the, the promised land and there's all these foreign gods. So they have been introduced to these foreign gods for hundreds of years. And we see that for these last 20 years, it says that they're lamenting with their mouth. They're groaning, they're crying. It's like, oh God. But their hearts are far away from Him. Their hearts are just far. When their hearts... <laughs> were not all in for the Lord, their hearts were turned to foreign gods. And it happens immediately. Because instead of them influencing others, they were being influenced. Outwardly, they're lamenting, but inwardly, they're serving the bales and the asterisks. These two, respectively, they are the male and female gods of fertility and crops. They were believed to be the ones that produced everything. And they are often ref uh, made reference to or they're represented as the sun god and the moon goddess or Jupiter and Venus. That's who the asterisks and the bales are. Bales means master. And he is often depicted with the stock of grain or, 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 or wheat in one hand, a long thing like this, and, and his hand up like this with a club, like a master. That's what he's often depicted with, or like. And it's interesting because as I was kind of looking up the bales, sometimes he, he's also often depicted by others as this kind of devilish goat with the, you know, the whole devilish thing too. And it's interesting because the asterisk means star. And it is depicted as a naked woman with wings. And I find it interesting and even fascinating at the same time that back then, as well as today, when people's hearts are not all in for the Lord, 
They are ruled by their appetites. The bales and the asterisks that, that, that produce everything for you, that give you everything that, to sustain you, to satisfy you, the things that, that our bodies crave like food and sensuality and stuff like that, that the bales and the asterisks, man, they're, they're saying, here, you can have it all. And when our hearts are not totally in for the Lord, then, then, then our appetites can and will take over quickly. Because if, if we think that we can just give God half or part of our heart, then the other part will quickly run to the asterisks and to the, the bales. And, and, and I just find it interesting that, that the bales, they, they represent this master that provides food. And the asterisk, she provides the sensuality. She's a naked woman. And it's like, whoa, man, is that our, our, our culture today? Man, satisfy your appetites. Go for it. Don't hold back. And that's what these gods, they, 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 they gave to the people. But these gods, the, 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 the appetites that they, they give us, man, they, they become cruel masters. <laughs> these gods, they say that they can satisfy you, but they never really come through. Because they always leave you wanting more. <laughs> and you always feel guilty afterwards. And so the cry from Samuel is all your heart. Give God all your heart. Not some of it. Not part of it. Not every once in a while. Because they, back then, like us today, when we we're half-hearted to the Lord, the attentions, our attentions, turn to the foreign gods automatically. Whatever those foreign gods are today, your bales and your asterisks today, they come in so many different forms. But they tell you that they will satisfy your soul. They will make you look good. They will make you feel good. If you, if you only get this, and there's so many things, man. And, 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 and it can go from, from objects to people to education to all those things that are, because everything is grasping for your attention. Because if your heart is not fully for the Lord, then your mind will go quickly to other places that quick. Because everything wants your heart, mind, and soul. Everything. The foreign gods are constantly out there. It's nothing new than what these cats were, were, were dealing with. As, as, as soon as their minds, as soon as their hearts, as soon as they finished wailing and lamenting for God, they turned to their foreign gods for satisfaction. And it happens that quick. And here, what, he, what he's telling us is, that he says, no, you've you got to turn back. Turn back with all your heart. Prepare your heart for this. You see, it wasn't something that just happened. It's like, no, you got to prepare. you got to put away the foreign gods. Those things that, that grasp at you and those things that take from you all day long, you have to fight against it. Because our sensuality and our appetite for everything, man, it's like our flesh just wants it. That's a natural thing. And so when these guys, when they turn from their living God to the asterisks and the bales then automatically they were, they were diving in deep. 
But he says, no, you need to prepare your heart. You need to serve him only. Only him. And he says this, and he will deliver you. I think oftentimes when we as Christians are battling so much with the, the bales and the asterisks, the, the foreign gods that are out there, I think it's because oftentimes our heart for the Lord is half-hearted. And I'm not saying that we're never going to mess up and that something's not going to get our attention, that all of a sudden we're going to turn. I'm just saying it's, it's that hardcore that we have to turn constantly towards Him and put our hearts there. We have to prepare our hearts daily, moment by moment, and serve Him only and have Him only as our focus. Because when we do that, He delivers us. He delivers us left and right all the time. Because anything and everything becomes a foreign God. And the nation of Israel, even though they were God's people, yet they had not prepared their heart. Their appetite was stronger. <laughs> In other words, man defaults to the foreign gods automatically. I was just sharing this with somebody in my office yesterday. Our natural inclination is the asterisks and the bales. <laughs> that is our natural inclination. We cannot just serve God by osmosis. It just doesn't happen. We, it can't happen that way. Serving God this way is not natural. That's why you have to turn from the foreign gods. That's why you have to give Him everything. You have to prepare yourself for that. You can't just say, well, I'm going to serve God and not do anything about it. No, you have to prepare. Because everything wants your attention and you're saying, no, I only want Him. And it's saying, but He's not enough. There's other things. It, it, it's something that we have to intentionally do moment by moment is give our heart to God. I, I, I was sharing with this person how the natural law in this world is, is, um, is gravity, right? That's the natural law. And we just saw that happen the other day with this terrible accident. The only thing that supersedes the natural law is aerodynamics. But as soon as you stop thrusting and let off, the natural law takes over in your life. Every time. Every time. When you're not thrusting, preparing your heart for Him and Him only and moving forward in it, then your natural inclinations take over your flesh. Boom. You're in for a crash landing. Because that's what happens. I was telling this person, it's like my, my heart was breaking because it's like, like what you're trying to do is not natural. Walk with Jesus. Walk, guys, whatever you guys, you guys want to walk with Jesus, not natural. You want to go follow after the bales and the asterisks? That is so natural. You don't even have to work at that one, huh? <laughs> you don't have to prepare your heart to, to, to become sensual, perverted, or anything like that. It just happens. It just happens because that's who you are. That's who we are naturally. You have to fight. <laughs> you have to prepare for the battle if you want to walk with Jesus. It's interesting because the nation of Israel never stopped being the nation of Israel even though their hearts were far from, from God. He continued to be their God. He was always the God of Israel. Even to this day, He is the God of Israel. 
He never stopped being that towards them. Even when they went and served the Baals, and even when they went and served the asterisks, their own appetites. And isn't it interesting that we as Christians find ourselves in the same boat oftentimes when everything wants our attention and we end up like catching ourselves going, what am I doing? Because you didn't prepare. You didn't focus because that quick you went this way. It's like, dang it, there I am again. The promise that Samuel gives that when you prepare your heart to serve only God, God will deliver. He will always deliver. And God has never broken that promise. Not once. He has never broken that promise. That if you give him everything, he he will deliver you. And I believe that the same applies to us today, man. That whatever we go through, whatever we're going through, whether we feel like we're winning the battle or losing the battle, God delivers us even in the battle even when we feel like we've lost. And what came to mind is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When, 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 when they were told to bow down, and they come to the king, and that's in, in Daniel chapter 3, verses three, uh, 16 through 18. When they come to him and they said, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He is able to deliver us. And I like what they say. It says, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. You see, to them, they were going to be delivered either way. If they didn't get thrown into the fiery furnace, deliverance. If they get thrown into the fiery furnace and they burn to crispy critters, deliverance. They were still not going to bow down. And the trippy thing is, they get thrown in, into the fire, seven times hotter, and they still get delivered. That's our God. That is our God. You see, their focus was not on the asterisks or the bales or the golden images that this cat had set up. No, their focus was on God, and they said, it doesn't matter. Because my God will deliver me. And I believe that as Christians, when we have our focus and and, and the arrows are coming and and we're getting knocked down and we're getting back up and we're getting jacked up and we're getting beat up and all these things, I still have victory. I still have victory. I can walk in victory regardless. And I think when we're feeling so defeated because you've taken your eyes off, I feel like I'm spitting all over the place. We've taken our eyes off our Lord and Savior, the one that does deliver, the one that never eases up. Um, Samuel gathers all of them in, at Mizpah. And, um, and then from there, now, I looked at the clock and was like, dang it, now I'm lost now. Um, but he gathers these guys together. And as they gather together, he begins to tell them, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. And I love the fact that, that these guys in verse 8, they say, hey, the Philistines are coming after us again. And I'm thinking, who in the Philistines did not say, guys, remember last time we attacked them and we were hurting for like seven months? Let's not go after them. But they didn't even think about them. It was like, I don't care. I'll get hemorrhoids again. Let's just go get those guys. I don't care. And so they go after those guys. And yet, because now they're seeking God... 
because now they're, they're going after and doing the right thing in this sense because he's praying for them. They tell him, hey, don't stop, cease, don't stop or do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us against the Philistines. Then verse 9, it says, so Samuel, And Samuel took the suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel. And, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord hindered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up bef- between Mitzpah and Shen and called, the, uh, called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And so what we see here is that as they're doing what God wants them to do, now they're seeking God. Now they're gathered together. Now they're, they're, they're putting away their, their, their asterisks and their bales. They're destroying the, the idols. And now they're confessing their sins. They have confessed their sins to God as well. And, and so now because they, they've cried out to him, God is on their side. Samuel goes and, and, and he burns offerings to the Lord. And I love this part. He says, and the Lord answered him. The Lord answered him. They, 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 they had done what was right. And what an amazing thing it is. And I'm amazed by it. And I know that I shouldn't be, but I am. The faithfulness of God. With all that the nation of Israel had done, outwardly lamenting, but inwardly serving the foreign gods, you would have thought that God said, I'm done with you. But he didn't do that. Talking to somebody else today, um, they were saying how they were like the prodigal son. So often they went out and God never took his eyes off of them and always welcomed them back in. Guys, it shouldn't give us a license to say, well, I'm going to go do that. (laughs) It should drive us to our knees because of the grace of God, not to take advantage of it like that that he is so good. But Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal the land. And it's interesting because Baal was also known as the storm god or the god of thunder. But Baal was no match for the true and living God of Israel who stole all his thunder <laughs> and scared the people that worshipped him with a loud, thunderous storm 
that confused them so much that they, did, they couldn't even think straight. And to commemorate that victory, Samuel raises up his Ebenezer, his stone of help. Like the old hymn says, here I rise, here I raise my Ebenezer, here by my, thy great help I've come. And I hope by, the, by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. The Lord will always be our Ebenezer, our stone of remembrance, our stone of help. We can trust him with everything, guys. He is always and will always come through. He always keeps his promise. And what an encouragement it is for us that we have a God that when we repent, when we turn back to him, when, when, when all of a sudden we're preparing our hearts daily before him to serve him and him only, he will deliver. He will always deliver. Man, if you need a revival in your little pea brain, little heart right now, what a great opportunity to turn back to him with your whole heart. If there's asterisks in your life right now, if, if, if there's bales in your life right now, you need to forsake them. They're not going to go away. You need to forsake them. They're going to stay there. <laughs> you need to turn from them and turn to the living God with all your heart, and He will deliver you. He will always deliver you because He never goes back on His promises. His promises He keeps because He always comes up from behind us. He always goes before us, and He's always in our midst because that's who our God is. And so in verses 15 to 17, as we close in prayer here, it says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel. There he built an altar to the Lord. He was a traveling preacher. He hit the circuit every year and he hit those places and he went and judged Israel, whatever needed to be done. But he preached the word. He shared, the, he, shared he represented God everywhere he went. I guess we just have to close right here. But guys, I want to encourage you to go back to verse 3. Because if you're not at the place where you have turned to God, then you're lost. You will give in to your appetites, and your appetites will destroy you. They will destroy your family. They destroy those people around you. God is not into your destruction. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant went to the house of Abinadab, and he didn't destroy them. He didn't bring some tumors on these guys and he didn't kill them. He blessed them for a hundred years. That house, he blessed them. His presence was still there. But we need to turn to God. We need to prepare our hearts and we need to serve him only and he will deliver. That's his promise, amen? amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, I know I had to kind of speed up at the end there, Lord God, but... Father, you are a God who keeps his promises to us, Lord. You never fail us. Lord, every time, Lord God, we run away, we, de we decide to destroy our lives, Lord God, because we feel like you're not there with us, Lord. Lord, we always come up short. <laughs> and we hurt people around us because of it. 
And yet, Lord God, your word tells us, even the examples that we have from the nation of Israel, Lord, that when they turned, when they repented, when they sought you with all their heart, Lord, and prepared their hearts, and they put away the, the false gods, Lord God, you saved them, you, you delivered them, you went before them, you restored to them what the enemy had taken from them, Lord. And Father, there's so many, even in this room right now, Lord God, who have been ripped off by the enemy because they went in their own power. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just restore what the canker worm has eaten up, what has destroyed, Lord God, that you would build back up, Lord. And those who, who, are, uh, who have enemies out there, Lord, it even tells us right here that Israel became, got, got peace with, with Amorites once again, Lord, who were once their enemies. And so you're able, you're able to do that, to heal relationships even, if we just humble ourselves and we repent. And so we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. The God of Israel is our God. And we worship you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Let's stand.